quickly, reptiles. Seek therapy. Listeners, and welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name is Henry. Memento Mori, for death is certain, you must never forget. And my name's John. And together we're Henry and John, back again without pirate accents. Finally, I was getting sick of those pirate accents. I know, I I kept that going the entire week. You would not believe the looks I got at work. I just can't believe the President of the United States changed it from Talk Like a Pirate Day to Talk Like a Pirate Week. And it's mandatory now is is the weird thing, but it's apparently a lot of people don't read the news because no one else was doing it. Hey man, he had to do something wrong eventually. Yeah, <laughs> I can't joke about that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, John. Yes? How are you doing? I'm significantly better than I was yesterday. That sounds great. We don't have to talk about it, but I'm glad you're in a better mood. Yeah, I'm just generally in a better mood. Even if I didn't receive positive life news, which I did, uh, I just felt better in general today. Well, that's good. Feeling good is always better than feeling bad. Or at least that's what I've come to find. You know, I was actually uh, reading something. I've been reading a lot about happiness, Henry. I, all right, I, this is an area in which I, I, I do a lot of amateurish research. Uh, so one thing I was reading, uh, I've been really enjoying reading books again lately. I don't really have the time to do it. I make the time, you know, no big deal. Yeah, I do that too. Uh, I, I've actually completed three books in the past month. But I was reading uh, Montaigne. He's a French philosopher. Oh, so your usual bread and butter? Yeah, my usual bread and butter. There's a cat in the room. Uh, so <laughs> I... Uh, I was reading uh, his long-ish essay called On Solitude, where he, he talks about and he postulates about what happiness means and how someone can be happy in solitude. Is that actually possible, though? Uh, he proposes that it is, and in, in solitude, it, it means a lot of different things, but the, the reason why I wanted to bring it up here is we're talking about you know it's always better to be happy than it is to be sad and that's pretty much what he states is that we should do the things to preserve our own happiness first okay so if you have the option of doing two things you should do the thing that will continue your happiness before you do the thing that will end your happiness yeah one thing he he brings up and uh montagna god i wish i knew how to pronounce his name montaigne uh montaigne believed that the rigors that we put into becoming like culturally informed or kind of uh, vainly cultured are pointless because if you're doing something with the knowledge of it being vain and the only reward being that's just going to uh, stop it cat uh, with the only reward being that's going to make you seem cultured and you're not enjoying something for the sake of itself, then you're just suffering. Uh, he, for instance, hates, like, really, uh, 
wordy philosophical texts and he hates complicated books he reads the books that immediately make sense to him and that's what he uses to form his opinions he thinks the things that weren't written in such a way for him to digest easily aren't worth the effort which i don't necessarily agree with but it's uncommon in philosophers so he would not be a fan of derrida then he would not be a fan of derrida at all and that's probably the smartest joke i'll ever make and uh he uh, oh my god my cat is having a scratch party with my microphone <laughs> can't you like hold the cat in your lap it is in my lap attacking oh. the microphone anyway uh so one thing that he mentions in that book that i kind of want to talk about a little bit if you have the time oh i've got plenty of time because unlike that guy my job is to vainly act like I know about culture. <laughs> Great. Uh, so one thing that he postulates, and I kind of agree with him, and I don't know what your take on this is, because I know that sometimes we have a bit of a difference when it comes to, like, having faith in things. You mean because I have lots of faith and you have no faith? Yes. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, one thing that he says is to live a life of, of solitude, of having, like, no significant others that live with you and having, essentially retreating into yourself, becoming a hermit is really what he's talking about. And he says that to live by yourself happily and to be at peace with that, it is so much easier to be a man of God than a man with no faith. Why? I don't see how it translates, though. Because, and this isn't something that I'd thought about before, but he says that if you are trying to live a life devoid of human interaction, and this is all thought experiment, that it would be so much easier to do that if you had a belief structure that allowed you to view hardships in, in this life as tests or kind of a delayed reward in an afterlife like if you felt like your life was being directed in some way it would be much easier for you to endure hardship and he was using the thought experiment of you know retreating within yourself and never interacting with humankind he was treating that as a thought experiment to say that if you are a person of faith it is kind of easier to deal with the inconvenient uh terrible things in life that you sometimes bring upon yourself, understanding that there is an ultimate reward. All right, so I, I see how I see his line of thinking, and I think it, it it in a way it does check out. But it, I don't know, like um, I don't know if I agree or disagree with that statement because I feel like a person without faith, without a belief in God, would be just as capable as a person who believes. If their ultimate goal is, to, or if their ultimate desire, if they just more than anything else want to be left alone, I feel mm -hmm. like they're going to accomplish that whether or not they're expecting an ultimate reward or not. True. I, I think that the, the solitude in this case might not be a, um, like a solitude that you want necessarily, because a, a lot of what the book says, I mean, some of it is about the the ecstasy of solitude like the the moments of solitude that you choose but sometimes you're just going to be alone no matter what 
Yeah, so more of like an isolation than an actual solitude. And let's say that you have, you know, person A who is a person of faith and person B who is a person of no faith. And both of them, through some circumstance, have to stay in one room for 30 years and all they can eat is bread and water. The person with faith will probably succeed because, like, monks do that all the time. And there's something to be said for the fact that faith is almost irreplaceable in people's hearts. Because if you are a truly uh, faithful person and you believe in a reward for your toils, if you are eating bread and water, it is seasoned with your faith. Because you're like, yes, this sucks, but it serves something greater. Whereas if you're someone with no faith, uh, like myself, and you're eating bread and water, you're like, this just sucks. Yeah, it, it, I think it depends on your belief system, because... The way that I perceive it, choosing to eat just bread and water and being locked in a room for 30 years upon your own decision, like, you're, you are the impetus of that decision, that doesn't translate into anything, according to my belief structure. That, that translates into a shitty 30 years. And I think what he was talking about was, it's not of your own volition, like, the moments of your life where solitude is imposed on you. Okay, so, like, if you were locked up against your yeah, will? Like it, like, if you were locked up or you were going through a situation where, like, you moved to a new country and you had uh, no friends or you were you were introverted or you had to, you had some kind of work that you had to do outside of people. Because the, I forget what, I forget who said this, but basically the, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but basically the, the biggest problem with human beings is that they're not comfortable being idle. Okay. And I guess in the moments of solitude that we don't choose, he supposes that someone with faith would be more acclimated to those than someone who did not have that. Yeah. Another thing to consider is that a person with faith is never technically alone because they always have their faith with them, their, their, their deity or their supreme being above them. Man, Henry, I gotta get a religion. It sounds pretty sweet. I get pretty lonely. It's a pretty sweet gig. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't subscribe to any of the major ones in favor of sort of just trying to forge my own belief system. Uh, but, I, you know, at the end of the day, I still believe in a, a, like a higher power that's watching over us. Well, what would you recommend for a beginner? A beginner religion? Yeah. Well, you can't go wrong with Christianity, because after all, uh, Christianity promises that any of your wrongdoings will be forgiven in the end as long as you believe. Okay, that one seems pretty easy. Yeah, it's a pr it's pretty easy to get into. Uh, the only requirements are live a good life, uh, do so in the name of their God, and uh, always you know ask for forgiveness for your wrongdoings, be they intentional or not. Now, I've been thinking a lot about Satanism. Satanism, uh, as far as I know, because there actually is, like, a practicing uh, Satanist group, but they don't actually worship the devil. They just do good things in the name of non-religion. Yeah, uh, I was looking into it, and generally Satanist seems to be a uh, an interchangeable term for cheeky, socially-minded atheist. Yeah, I, they, they pro the, the name is supposed to be a little, uh, what is the word? I don't want to use triggering, I want to use provocative. It's supposed to be provocative, because with all of the good things they do, they want the point being, look, we don't have the same 
belief system behind us, but we're still moral people. Yeah, we're still fully capable of committing good acts. What about Buddhism? I don't know a lot about it. Uh, Buddhism is is that's, that's actually one of the more difficult ones because it actually calls for you to give up all of your material possessions. Ooh, that's a high barrier to entry. I, I don't think it. That's not a literal requirement. It, it, it's part of the story of the Buddha. Is that's what he did? It. it, it but it does. It does. Uh, favor sort of putting less importance on the material to focus on yourself in a spiritual and sort of transcendent way. Well, I mean, can I become the Buddha? I don't believe you can. I, you mm. can you can endeavor to reach nirvana, which is becoming one with everything and just sort of merging your consciousness with the universe, but I don't believe that makes you the Buddha, who is, I think, the only person who's ever done that. Well, I mean, that one sounds pretty cool, because... With Christianity, just my sins get forgiven and I get to be an angel or whatever. With Buddhism, it's sort of like, you're also sort of, it's all about forging your path. And your path should be paved with good decisions and, and like things that will bring you closer to enlightenment. But it doesn't outright sort of condone wrongdoing. It doesn't really define wrongdoing. Okay, so, I mean, I think we've got some pretty good candidates with uh, Buddhism, Satanism, and Christianity. Now, now Islam. <laughs> now, I mean, the, the thing is, I don't want to go for, like, a medium difficulty religion. I don't want to go... I want, like, a, like a holiday observance religion. I don't want something oh. that I have to commit myself to every day. Okay, I was about to say, because Islam is, like, one of the strictest religions with their five tenets... But that's about it. You observe those five tenets for your, the rest of your life, and you're, you're set. You're golden. Those uh, five tenets are pretty good. Almsgiving. Alms. You can never give enough alms. Almsgiving, uh, the prayer three times a day, uh, the 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 pilgrim pilgrimage to Mecca. I'm forgetting two. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll yeah. come up with them later. No, not come up with. Like I did, I'm doing this from memory because I actually... Oh, yeah. No, I... I, I... Come up with was a strange way to put it. Yeah, no, yeah, no. But I, I actually studied all of these religions uh, in college just to expand my worldview a little bit more because I realized when I was when I was first uh, roomed with an, an atheist for my first year, I realized I didn't know anything up beyond the religion that I was I was taught or inherited my entire life. Sometimes I can feel like a little bit of a religion school dropout. Yeah, you're you're one of the cool kids. You wanted to go sin behind the, the the church dumpster. Not even necessarily cool because like I was raised uh, Catholic and uh, I had faith my whole life. And then in my teenage years, I researched every religion I could because I was having a crisis of faith. And then I just chose none of them. Yeah, I kind of came. It was during my teenage years where. Somebody posed a question. It, it was my uh, my English teacher who was trying to teach us the concept of a paradox. And she introduced the concept that the world's religions are a paradox because they can't all be right, but they all claim that they're all right. And uh, that, that led me to think, well, why would an all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful being create a bunch of different religions if they weren't all correct? And then I just mm -hmm. started to kind of reject the uh, the structural human side of religion and focus more on the cosmic spiritual side of religion, the, the, the things we can't explain. 
I mean, I don't think I can hold against anyone a decision that they came to after, like, rational introspection. Yeah, I feel like, in the end, like, this, this is just a personal belief of mine, in the end, none of their beliefs, as long as they are not doing physical harm to me or my way of life, none of their beliefs affect my beliefs. I had a, a friend for a while, uh... Yeah, I guess you stop having friends. We haven't talked in years. But uh, he was gay, and he was also a... Oh, uh, what is it? What's that faith? He was an Anglican, I think? Of the British Anglican Church? Yes. I don't know anything about that church. I, I think he was an Anglican. Anyway, uh, he he prescribed to a belief structure that basically said that his way of life was aberrant and terrible. And they were pretty open about it. How did he reconcile the two? I... He explained it to me at one point, but from talking to him, he came to religion after introspection and research, and he seemed to to make a choice that worked for him, and I don't think anyone can hold that against him. Yeah. At the end of the day, as long as people are content with their choices and they're not, like, self-hating or self-harming or abhorring some weird self-loathing against themselves, uh, then who are we to judge their decisions? Yeah, you can't judge anyone who made a decision in their right mind. Exactly. As long as people are not under the influence of some type of weird uh, snake god. Oh, well, actually, I've been reading a lot about this snake god faith. (laughs) More so those weird... uh, Weird is a strong word. But they are weird. Those people who who speak in tongues and they they have snakes. Are those Pentecostals? Yeah, like I I, I know we're all for not judging, but on a one to one level between you and me, John, those people are kind of weird, right? I mean, I'm not gonna go juggle snakes and speak tongues anytime soon, but I don't want to say anyone's wrong for doing it. <laughs> It's one of those things where, uh, like, South Park likes to joke, you know, like, oh, the, the the Mormons are the only people who got it right in the end. It's gonna be like, you know, if life was written by a satirist, those Pentecostals would be the ones justified in the end. And then God would be a giant snake. Yeah, who holds two tinier snakes and its snake arms. Yeah, he's got the whole snakes... In his arms, his arms are made of snakes. Yeah, that, that their children would sing that as they go to Bible camp. Oh, snake Bible camp? Snake Bible camp. All right. Nailed it. We've gotten a little bit into the religious weeds here. Yeah, sorry about that. I've been thinking a lot about religious weeds. Well, you know what they say. A religious weed not smoked is a religious weed not earned. You're right. Don't put it in an urn. Don't put it in an urn. Uh, man, it's really hard to say put it in an urn. Put it. Why would you be saying put it in an urn, especially like in a weird commandy voice like that? It really sounds like I'm trying to start a chainsaw. Like put it in an urn. 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 Put it in an Yeah. See. Yeah. I think we just found the onomatopoeia for a chainsaw startup. So in my upcoming graphic novel, as someone tries to start a chainsaw, it will read, put it in an urn. 
Uh, onomatopoeias are great. But, John, I have one question. What's up? What are we doing? Rapidly moving away from the topic of religion. We're, we're practically sprinting from it. Oh, a full tilt. I am Usain bolting away from religion, because that is something that I believe we agreed relatively early on that we shan't discuss. Well, we, I think we said we wouldn't get into too specifics, but I think we kept it pretty general there, right? And another thing I think we, uh, we didn't want to get too political early on, and we're about to not do that. Well... It's hard not to bring politics into our discussion or observation of the zeitgeist, because politics are everywhere in the zeitgeist this day. I mean, politics are the zeitgeist right now. They're pretty much one and the same no matter where you stand on any issue. It's, you can't go a full day without hearing something about politics. My non-political boss, surprising to me, brought up politics today for no reason. I mean, politics is the hottest reality show on TV right now. It really is, and there's a reality star at the helm. <laughs> You're right. I said that really weird. I don't know why. <laughs> the helm. The helm. Uh, but specifically, I wanted to talk about this whole NFL kneeling during the National Anthem story that's been going around from this past weekend. Mm-hmm. In order to observe one question that seems to be circling around in this weird sort of, oh, they're bad, oh, they're good sort of argument that's taken over the internet. Mm -hmm. And that question is, John, are there inappropriate and appropriate times to protest? Uh, well, I mean, depending on your jurisdiction and what time of the year it is, you have designated protest zones where... Uh, once a month for 45 minutes, you can make your opinion heard. Now, if we were living in a weird Discworld-esque type place, I would believe that. Uh, you want my hot take on it? What's your hot take, John? And make it really hot. Uh, my hot take on it is this. I think that, uh, we have so enmeshed football with our national identity that people view it as extremely uh not sanctimonious sacred uh on a on a day-to-day basis and people are infringing on that in their view uh in the name of protesting something that they don't agree with and they are making football impure because they're bringing politics into it what but football is impure because they brought advertising into it oh football is the most impure thing ever it, football is a celebration of brute strength and a little bit of strategy if you actually like look into the, the plays and whatnot. But at the surface level, I don't see anything American about it other than it was made in America. So assuming that someone's listening to this podcast 20 years from now, let's give them a quick rundown of what's going on with the whole kneeling thing. All right, so last year... I forget what team he was on, but Colin Kaepernick, who was a backup quarterback at the time... Was he on the 49ers? I don't know. He was on the 49ers, but was that two years ago or one year? I don't know where he was last year. Maybe he was on the 49ers. I don't know. All I know is he was a backup quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when I first heard the story, I took it from a football fan perspective and went... Well, all right, he's trying to make some publicity for himself because he's on a backup quarterback. I've since stopped being a football fan, so I think differently. 
Weird Good. How, weird how that works. Um, but Colin Kaepernick, backup quarterback to maybe the 49ers, knelt during the national anthem. Uh, and I actually have some of his original quotes here as to why he did that. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaepernick, who has sat or knelt during the anthem, has said he refused to honor a song or show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. He also referenced the shootings of black men by police as one of reasons for his stance. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way, he told NFL Media. These are bodies... Oh, there are bodies in the streets and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. And this is coming from Elliot McLaughlin from CNN. And that was two years ago during the uh, height of public awareness of police officers shooting young minorities. Yeah, I mean, Ferguson was happening during this time among the other myriad of stories of police officers gunning down young black men and getting paid leave and not getting reprimanded for these their actions and this isn't a new phenomenon it certainly hasn't been solved uh since then but it was to me when it first started happening it was a very very understandable uh ironically stand for him to take and i think it's such an appropriate symbol because he is a football player and in football you take a knee when someone is injured on the field Mm mm-hmm and I think he's, I think part of the symbolism of taking a knee during the national anthem is the country is injured. It's, it needs to be fixed or healed and it's not happening. So until the, until a point in time when the country is healed and we've, we fixed this issue, I'm going to take a knee, which is like the most, like the quietest kind of protest anyone could do. It is the quietest most respectful and yet most public protest it is in a way the perfect protest yeah i mean he's using the he he was using the platform he had at the time to raise awareness for an issue he felt strongly about that's the definition of like compliant protest and no one was hurt it was completely silent and I think the the public's reaction to it speaks to how perfect of a protest it was because it took very little action on his part other than a, a whole bunch of fucking guts to let people know exactly what he thought about what was going on and everyone saw it and everyone cared and it blew up and it became like a social moment. And now that social moment is echoing because people are still talking about it and now other NFL players are joining in in solidarity by taking a knee during the national anthem. And now it's it, it's actually like people are talking about it. People are discussing it. And of course, it's receiving a lot of backlash because, of course, you're, res- you're disrespecting the flag. You're disrespecting the country. For some reason, somehow, you're disrespecting veterans who gave their lives so that you could stand for the flag. I don't get that one, but that's even brought in. I think it's uh I think it's exactly what has happened before in the past. It's been 2 years since Colin Kaepernick took a knee for the national anthem the first time. Opponents of that stance have had 2 years to reconcile their feelings about someone feeling disenfranchised by the government 
that uh, controls the lives of him and his family. And over those two years, I feel like the people who have wanted to be the staunchest critics of this movement have in no way found justification for their feelings. So, now that it's becoming more popular, uh, and these people potentially feel emboldened because we live in a world where truth is a lie and up is down and it's, it's garbage insanity, that we have these people for whom they feel as though they can just change the narrative and put that narrative and put the kind of the weight of that narrative on the well-worn philosophical scapegoat of the right-wing, the troops. Yeah, and like, so their their default defense is you're being un-American by not falling in line with everyone else and doing what everyone has always done because it's tradition, which sounds super un-American. You are disrespecting the flag that represents a country that gives you the free and open right to protest. You are disrespecting the troops who fought, have fought, and are fighting for your right to protest. Yeah, and this, this might be one of the, like the dumbest questions I've ever asked on the podcast, um, but which of our recent wars was started and fought over the right to free speech? Which one of our... Our military enemies ever threatened our freedom or right to free speech? Haven't we been the aggressor in every war besides arguably the ones after the the, the conflicts after 9-11 for the past, I don't know, 50 years? Yeah, that's a it's a it's an interesting point. And like, I, I don't it makes me so mad the fact that people are trying to do this like code switch on the narrative of this story because the the conservative right wing has always held the the troops as a playing card to just pull out whenever they need to whenever they need to say ah oh, this person's a garbage person because ah the troops they're tangentially related to something that could be construed as being negatively uh negatively affecting the troops ah troops and, and I, you know, let's briefly point out that the Republican Party has had a long-standing history of defunding veterans' right, uh, benefits and and VA hospitals, and just not giving the care or or monetary needs to veterans who are clearly suffering and struggle to fit back into society. I just want to point that out real quick, because they used to be troops, but I guess if you're not actively enlisted, you don't count anymore. And you know, some of the best uh, things that have passed in the Veterans Administration, uh, GI Bill, a lot of the things that have been good for veterans have happened under Democratic presidents. Yep, but let's not dwell on that, because I, I, we're getting distracted from the narrative by their distraction from the narrative. It's like, it, whenever somebody has a legitimate point about like a, a point of contention against the Republican Party they deflect and they deflect it's, so well that we get caught up in the deflection because it's it's like it's it's always at a left field it's always in a, in a logical collection connection so we have to try to wrap our brains about how did you even land there and then we're arguing against that instead of focusing on the actual issue 
It's a fucking black belt in double speak sometimes, especially with the current administration, because what Republicans have done for a really long time, and I'm not saying that the Democrats are are not guilty of this sometimes, but it's like a it's like a calling card of conservatives today to be like, no, no. I'm not comfortable on the high road, which is where the ideological debate was actually happening. You have to come fight me in this ditch. <laughs> yeah, you come down to my level, off your high horse, and onto the the low mule of mudslinging. Yeah, we were both on the high road. We both knew where this was going, but I know I don't have a leg to stand on. So if I drag this into someplace totally different, someplace sensational, uh, someplace shitty and bombastic that makes no sense, we can have a fight here because at least it'll get you off the high road. Yeah. It's just a weird phenomenon. We keep experiencing weirder and weirder cultural moments because ten years ago, you wouldn't find an athlete taking a political stance on anything because they're athletes. Just get hit, we'll give you a billion dollars, call it a day. Mm-hmm. But now, I, more and more of these uh, of people who have been oppressed, who who have gone through struggles, who have worked their asses off to get where they are, are now thinking about other people thinking about other people who are oppressed and struggling, and it's like, hey, I got to this platform. I worked my way for this to this platform. I shouldn't forget the people who are still suffering. I should speak up for them, but I'm not going to interrupt anything. You know, I'm not going to pause the game to give a diatribe on it. I'm just going to do something, as we've described, something so mini, something so quiet to just symbolize that I am not okay with the, the the events that are happening right now that involve people who are struggling. I want to acknowledge that I'm not okay with these events, so I'll take a knee. And of course now we're getting into a territory where we are dangerously close to people co-opting this form of protest for different means. You know, look at, uh, look at all of the NFL teams who took a stand or a knee... In a diff in different ways over the last few NFL games, yeah, you've you've had a, a there's a number of teams that stood in solidarity with their arms linked this past weekend. Uh, a couple of owners got in this, and the, the owners that got into it are also minorities. They're also they're they're. Uh, it's funny if you look at the owners of NFL teams, how little of them are actually owned by white people. Yeah, there's there's not a lot, <laughs> and, and, and it's like so if it, th- that's the thing about America is it's not just white. <laughs> you can't think of the troops, you can't think of football, and just think, oh yeah, white people. This is a black person who is protesting, so clearly they're off message with this whole football thing. That's not the truth anymore. The truth is, America is a melting pot. All cultures are represented. Look at football. Look at the money in football. Where it's where it's coming from. And you can just see that reflected in the money. And you you have these, uh, I forget what team it was, and I forget what coach it was, but here's a, here's a shitty thing that happened. Maybe it was the Dallas Cowboys, I don't know. Probably the Dallas Cowboys, if any of them. It's probably them, they're America's team. But uh, whoever the whoever the coach was, or owner, I don't know. This is terrible, I need to do more research. 
But essentially, they waited for the anthem to be over, and then every team member linked arms while kneeling, sending the most, like, ideologically confused message any of us have ever seen. Wait, so they waited for it to be over? Yeah, they they stayed for the anthem to play, and then after it, they just tried to glad hand by locking arms and kneeling. They're like, we're going to respect the anthem, but we're there with you. No, you're not. Yeah, that's that's a little off message. Uh, Equally confusing are the people who just didn't even participate in the national anthem's ceremony. Like, I I know for a fact the Steelers didn't come out for the ceremony. Um, I don't think... I don't think... Uh, one of the games happened in London this week, and I feel like one of the teams came out for the, the London anthem, but not the U.S. anthem. You know, it's really, it's fascinating when you have, like, there's a fence, and there's one side, and there's another side. And then, just the people who just stay on the fence. You know, the the teams who don't come out for the anthem... They're like, uh, we're not going to disrespect it, but we're not going to earn it because we're not going to do anything. It's like, your players are your players. Let them do whatever the fuck they're going to do. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're talking about individual people who will do whatever they want to do. So, like, the, the second that you say somebody should do something, the second that you, you make that claim that they should do this, that's like the most un-American thing ever, right? Yeah, I totally agree. Because America's about freedom. It's about no one imposing on us. It's about shaking off tyrants and doing our own thing. And then, so if some of us don't want to acknowledge a symbol of, to them of oppression, they should be free to do that. That's, that's, that's the First Amendment. Hey, look... I'm I'm just a simple Republican, and I believe in in a in a small government that tells us that doesn't tell us what to do. But I believe that the government should arrest people who peacefully protest on live television. Also, you shouldn't be able to get abortions or marry people of the same sex. But hey, I'm just I just don't believe in a big government, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, that's the weird thing. It's like so many of these people who 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 want to raise up America are literally going against what the values that make America, America, namely being the freedom. Well, at some point, we seem to have perverted American freedom with soft fascism, and I don't know how we're going to fix that one. Well, it's the cult of nationalism that, that that's, I think, during wartime took over that mandated our children say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning while staring at a flag. It's, it's, it's this weird sort of nationalistic pride that is dangerous. I mean, I'd love to call myself a nationalist because I love the United States to death. I fucking love the country I was born in. I really do. But nationalism, I think Albert Einstein said this one. Nationalism is an infantile disease. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love this country. I love the fact that anyone can come here. Well, it used to be that way. I I love the fact that people can come here and make a life of their own. I hate the government. I hate the people who are slapping regulations on that freedom. Boy, do you know it genuinely just gave me chills when you're like, well, it used to be that way. What? It did? When you were like, when people used to be able to to come here whenever they want. It's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I I have to to apologize for all those snide 
comments that I make because that that's me getting political when I said I don't want to get political, but it's hard to hide those thoughts anymore because like if I don't say them, will they get said? Hey man, see something, say something. Yeah, well, CISO's no longer a thing, so... Well, VRV or say something. Yeah, VRVs or say something. Uh, also, don't sit on a fence. Pick a side, goddammit. Yeah, I don't think you do any good by sitting on a fence. And if, you're, if your angle is based on their million millionaire cele- celebrities having an opinion, rethink, rethink everything about yourself. Hey man... Sitting on a fence only gets you one thing, fence post in your butt. Yeah, and that hurts, unless you're into it, in which case, don't go too far, because then it will hurt. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> alright, sure, I think that's on message. Uh, <laughs> Everyone so should be free that... to do whatever they want at the end. Yeah, unless it's sit on a fence. Well, just don't go too far. <laughs> yeah, don't go too far sitting on the fence. Now, we ran away from religion, now let's run away from politics. As fast as po- we are making out like bandits in the night, they don't even know we were there. This is a banger episode, we're breaking all our promises. Well, the zeitgeist is so charged at this moment, you know? I, I just feel like we're a few days away from open rebellion, which of course won't look like open rebellion because we, we're, we're still going to be civilized about it. I mean, that zeitgeist is like, it's it's like a little lightning bolt coming off of it, so charged. Yeah, I mean, you, you can you can hold a light bulb up to it, and it would probably, like, glow because of the alternating currents. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Tesla. Yeah, I also watched The Prestige. Oh, David Bowie. Oh, speaking of movies. Oh, man. How did we end up on that topic? Wow. <laughs> what uh, a segue. Man, we are just Segway experts, if you believe anything we say. Segsperts, if you will. No. No? Okay. <laughs> I had to try. Oh, of course you did. Uh, so, John, you wanna you wanna take you wanna take this away, John? You wanna you wanna take this you wanna take this from me? You wanna take this away, John? I would like to introduce the next segment that we're going to do on the podcast called Zero Credits. Wow, that, that was well done. And the segment is called, What Did You Watch? What Did You Watch? Oh, What Did You Watch? 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 Boo? Uh, so I can start. Why don't you go ahead and start, John? So What Did You Watch is a segment where we talk about things that we experienced with senses other than our ears. Yep, it's a classic throwback, uh, what do they call that, segment that we used to do all the time, but now we only do it very sparingly to treasure its goodness. So you should be pleased. <laughs> Welcome to the motherfucking pop culture happy hour. I think that's the name of another podcast. Edit that out. Nope, it's gonna be reverberated now. Fuck. So, uh, what I watched is a little thing called American Vandal. American Vandal? Is that that mockumentary-style true crime-esque thing? 
Yeah, it's that mockumentary on Netflix, that Netflix original by Funny or Die. I didn't realize it was done by Funny or Die. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, uh, I liked it, uh, quite a bit. I think that it, uh, tackles a few really interesting things. Why don't you walk us through the basic premise without giving away any of the juicy details? So, the premise is that it is a mockumentary in the style of, a of kind of this modern true crime genre, which kind of started with the storytelling style in the podcast Serial. I fucking mentioned another podcast. God uh, damn it. And then it was kind of, I guess that style kind of fell out of episodes of like This American Life and stuff like that. But that kind of narrative style influenced things like Making a Murderer and The Keepers and all of these true crime miniseries that follow kind of unsolved crimes in this uh, post hoc fashion, trying to put together the pieces after everything's already happened. And they're usually really interestingly shot. They're pretty well considered. They're pretty artsy. And they all kind of have a similar through line that's hard to put your finger on unless you're one of the really smart people who put American Vandal together and you made a pitch-perfect satirical documentary based on that. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Is it? A, does it deliver? Uh, it really does deliver. It does really fantastically cool things with the idea. And I don't think it's worth me going over the story, but basically the crime that is being uh what's the word the the crime that's being investigated throughout is one day at a high school someone spray painted 27 dicks on 27 cars 27 dicks on 27 cars well one giant dick per car what was this done in 27 minutes uh it was that's a spoiler uh Uh, well then don't answer it but no, it it was uh, it was done uh, at a high school. It caused I think a hundred thousand dollars in property damage. It was like felony vandalism, and the entire span of the show is the cameraman Peter Maldonado trying to prove the innocence, essentially, of the kid who was kind of uh, accused of the crime. All right. And it follows his investigation, and it is so, so in the zeitgeist. Like, all of the editing tricks they use, all of the the super ethereal, dramatic, kind of uh, bass-heavy music that goes throughout. All the shooting techniques, like the, the cinema verite, like, kind of gonzo stuff. It's very good. So if you had experienced some of the... Uh some of these mockumentary, not mockumentary, some of these actual documentaries that you talked about, like Making a Murderer or the, the, the podcast serial, then you would really enjoy this because it uses some of the same techniques? It plays into your expectations of that so well. You can tell that uh, the director really knew what he was doing. And something that I would like to talk about in the scope of the show, uh, and it is a little bit of a spoiler, would it be okay if I talked about that? Um... How big of a spoiler is it? It's just a thematic spoiler. What do you mean by thematic? The show deals with a theme that none of these other kind of things have ever dealt with before, and it does it in a super smart way. I'll just say what it is. Okay, I was going to let you anyway. I just wanted to be asking questions. Uh, So essentially, 
all of these things like serial, making a murderer, uh, the keepers, they're all done after the fact, recorded as a big batch and then released as episodes. And you never have to reckon with what happens after or during the time that these television series are being produced. And generally, in, in the case of things like Serial, there will be, like, petitions and, and people starting, like, GoFundMe campaigns and people getting very involved because the podcast Serial was super popular. Making a Murderer changed the, the lives of the people involved in it pretty substantially because people learn this information and get involved. And something that American Vandal deals with is the idea that the episodes are actually being released in real time time to like a facebook group or on youtube or something so you get to see the story change to reflect how society treats these crime documentaries and these true crime things like characters in the story start like free dylan campaigns and start gofundmes and it, it kind of takes over the production and the production itself becomes a facet of the investigation sometimes a hindrance sometimes a help but it becomes this big monster in the middle of a story well most of these uh most of those documentaries are filmed after the fact it sounds like this mockumentary is being filmed as the story unfolds yeah it's being filmed as the story unfolds as the investigation goes forward so it's very interesting to see them tackle in a really funny way how viral fame for something like that would affect an ongoing investigation that's an interesting take, and, and not one you would probably see in things like Making a Murderer or the other one, because they're trying to paint their people in a good light. With the freedom of a mockumentary, you can paint whatever you want. And certainly there are some points where the show's not as great as it could be. It does falter sometimes. It does have some weak storytelling moments. But generally, it is a really well-considered, really funny a kind of irreverent, I think, eight-episode-long miniseries that had some genuinely emotionally charged moments. And, in addition, it ends on maybe one of the most, like, thematically and narratively powerful messages I've seen on TV. Well, you can't talk about that. I, I can't, but just keep in mind when you're watching it, it is a show about identity. And it tackles identity with a, a deft hand that I can't really think of the last time I saw something handle an issue so well. That sounds like something I'm going to go watch sometime when I have time when I never have time. I would recommend it. Sounds good. It's only like four hours long. Four hours? Jeez, that's a long amount of time. Just don't sleep. I need sleep to live. You only need to sleep an average of 50 hours a week. Yeah. But that's on average. I sleep above the average. Oh, shit. You're one of the 1%. I'm the 1%. I get 60 hours of sleep. So did you watch anything? Oh, boy, did I, John. Oh, boy. Yes, this past Sunday I made my way to the Alamo Drafthouse Theater, John. Oh, that one? Yeah. Well, there's like... It's a, it's a franchise. There's so many. That one? Yes, that one. And I saw myself a film that just came out this past Friday. Oh, wow. Yeah, I went on an opening weekend and contributed, for better or worse, to the box office opening thing money. Oh, was it The Thing? No, it wasn't The Thing. What do you mean? 
Oh, you said the box office opening thing money. Yeah, I don't know what to call it. The opening weekend box office. Oh, what'd you watch? I watched a, a little movie called K- Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Oh, Kingsman? Kingsman, The Golden Circle, starring the- uh, some British chav. Am I saying uh, that right? Chav? Something Egerton. Yeah, some, is it, t- is it- Tor- Torin? Torin Egerton. Torin Egerton. Is it Chav? Chav? Chav. Chav. Uh, a King's Speech. Colin Firth. Firth, yes. Uh, not Farrell. It also starred, like, more people. There was a Jeff Bridges. Uh, Channing Tatum was in it. So was Halle Berry. So was Mark Strong. So is, I forget who plays the villain, but she was good. And Elton John. Well, hold on, what? I didn't know about that last one. Oh, Elton John is in the movie. Is it great? He plays himself. Weird. You see, these movies take place in a thing called the Millerverse, which includes the the two kick-ass movies, as well as the first Kingsman. And uh, the Millerverse, uh, for some reason, villains like kidnapping pop stars. So it's uh, Mark Miller who wrote this. He also wrote, uh, like you said, Kick-Ass, and um, whatever that one about the guy in the white suit was. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't read comics because they're expensive um but apparently a lot of their villains like to kidnap pop stars so this villain just happens to kidnap elton john nice and it, it that actually leads to some of the the better moments in the film just because you get to see it you know the legend that is elton john act like anyone probably would in a hostage situation so had you seen the original kingsman i have seen the original kingsman and i thought it was a very decent film with very well shot action that is akin to maybe an Edgar Wright film if I had to be pressed to uh, make a comparison. Everyone I know, literally every person I know, has been trying to get me to watch two movies. And one of them is Kingsman? One of them is Kingsman, and the other one is Guardians of the Galaxy. I would pick Kingsman over Guardians of the Galaxy just because if you want a truly fun movie that delves into this 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 long-standing history of the spy movie but does so in a way that's both refreshing and at the same time well done then that's kingsman i do very much want to see kingsman i might watch it this weekend yeah and uh, the sequel it was hard to sort of get my feelings together about the sequel because while there are no like of course i'm going to draw comparisons to the first one and the first one was really good it kind of knocked it out of the park this one sort of was more of an in infield home run. Yes, good analogy. And that it, like it it makes all the right moves, but it just felt like so much of it was set up for two more potential movies. I have heard it described as less gold finger and more gold member. Yeah, I mean, all of it is there. All of the elements are there. I forgot to mention Pedro uh, Pascal, who does a phenomenal job as well. Oh, he's on Game of Thrones. Yeah, he's Game of Thrones. Uh, He's also on Narcos, I found out, which maybe I should watch that. Who knows? Uh, But, like, all of the elements are there. You've got the thrilling action. You've got the -the over-the-top villain with the the really contrived plot and her... You've got really good characterization in the villain, which is something that I've come to appreciate uh, because I don't like just I'm evil because I'm evil. I like like in Spider-Man Homecoming 
how much we see of the vulture and how much we see of his motivation. So we, we, you've got all of the right pieces, but something is missing. Something is not quite there to just make it like, yeah, it's as good as the first movie. Uh, would you say that it suffers from sequelitis? To a tiny degree. Because there, there are a lot of, not repeated jokes like you see in comedy, but there are a lot of callbacks. There are a lot of references to the past. A lot of them are done well. Some of them are not done well. Like, I, I don't know. And maybe there's just too much of the ones that were done well to the point of like, well, I get it. You're doing the thing you did in the first movie. You put a twist on it so it's new, but we can still see it for what it is. The uh, the definition of sequelitis in my mind, everyone's definition is different, is just something feels bigger for the sake of being bigger and it loses its teeth. Well, the good thing about Kingsman is you can't really get bigger. Oh, uh, it, you would see what I mean if it, when you watch the first movie. Like, the scope is about the same. Okay, because I genuinely have no idea what takes place in Kingsman. And I, I don't want to ruin that experience for you. I, I think it'll come down... It's one of those weird things where it's like, if they make a third movie, it'll come down to that third movie to determine if the second movie was good or not. Weird. It, it, happens, it happens a lot sometimes. Like, I... I gun to my head i still don't know if the the second hobbit movie was a good movie or not it's like these weird middle chapters where it's like i can't determine if it was good or not because i it's it's clearly not over yet well i just look forward to seeing which one is the strongest of the kingsman trilogy yeah and it might actually be a quadrilogy because there's rumors of a spinoff movie series oh kingswoman uh no I, i don't want to spoil it is it is it Statesman? It's Statesman. Okay, I figured. Yeah, I don't know too much about it, but I know that. Yeah, I, I think they're fun. They're fun action movies. They're action movies done well. If you see it for nothing else, see it for the well shot, choreographed, and like just adrenaline inducing action. I love action. Well, then you will love these movies. Let's do a real quick thing. What's a real quick thing? For both of the things we said, I want us to say one thing, not necessarily our favorite thing if it has spoilers, but just one not spoilery thing that we just really loved in the things that we watched. Like our favorite thing. Okay. So mine is, it it sets the tone perfectly in that the way American Vandal starts is the uh, the protagonist slash antagonist the the guy who's been uh, set up for the crime not set up the guy who's whatever crime guy uh, his name is Dylan and the way the series starts is you hear someone off camera saying uh, could you state your name and who you are and he goes my name is Dylan and they pause and he's like what do you mean who who I am I'm I'm me, what kind of question is that? And then, <laughs> so good. <laughs> because so often you hear questions like that and you take them at face value for, for what they mean. But like these kind of like probing identity questions are meaningless for someone in his position. That's interesting. I love it. I love the show. What's your favorite? Did someone's head explode? Of course. Uh, my favorite thing from the Kingsman, the Golden Circle is pretty much every f- fight scene, including... Pedro Pascal's uh, Lasso. Ooh, that sounds good. Because he plays like a cowboy 
because everyone in America is a cowboy. Well, I mean, if we're saying that everyone in Britain is like a, a Oxford, an Oxford shoe wearing, suit wearing, uh, Colin Firth ass motherfucker. Yeah, I suppose the sh- the the, uh, the cowboy boots fit. I look forward to seeing the Canadian Kingsman, where everyone is a lumberjack. I would say Mountie. Oh yeah, Mounties <laughs> and lumberjacks. <laughs> Wait, they they make it. It's called Mounties, but it's just about the actual police force. It's not about like a secret agency or anything like that. Oh my god, that would be great. <laughs> oh, if they went to Canada, like the uh, we're we're gonna show you, we're gonna take you to the Mounties, and that's. It's just the universe of Kingsman interacting with the Canadian Mounted Police. Yes. I, I would watch it. I, w- I would ship it. Uh, OTP. OTP. Man, you know me. Dot com. I feel like that was a good... What did you watch? I feel like we get some good wrecks. I feel like we have done a lot this episode. Some of it good, probably most of it bad. Who knows? Hey. You're right. <laughs> Uh, but I think that that about wraps it up for this episode, since we're already giving kind of a soft verbal post-mortem. Yeah, I mean, the only thing left to do is to reveal the theme for this episode. And of course, the theme is... Now I'm gonna recap it real quick, just All so right. everyone remembers what happened. We talked about the trickiness of religion, how religion can make you happy and the lack of faith cannot, and some good beginner religions for the heathens out there. Uh, and then we talked about uh, taking a knee and and what it means and how sometimes an act that you make alone can affect the the whole nation. And then, of course, we talked about movies and shows that we liked. One of them is about identity, uh, particularly the identity of, of one individual. And the other one was about people in suits who make people blow up. Yeah, I guess that's close. <laughs> So, uh, what was the theme, Henry? Uh, the theme, and of course this is going to set up our our whole next month of episodes, but the theme for this week was spooky scariness. See? You didn't think that was coming because not everything was spooky, nor was it scary. Well, actually, just scariness. What? It it, it all fits perfectly because nothing is spookier or scarier than the, the act of trying to be happy while being alone, or religion. Religion is spooky and scary. It's a bunch of ghosts. And uh, what could be spookier or scarier than people trying to take away our right to protest? That's... I'm terrified. What could be scoop... scoopier... <laughs> sorry. What could be spookier or scarier than being accused of a crime we didn't commit? Oh. And nothing is spookier or scarier than secret agents, because they could be anybody. They could be anybody, John. I could be so- a secret agent. So, like, all truly spooky things, like, all truly scoopy things, if you think about it, it was there the whole time, but you never saw it until it jumped up and bit you. Yep, it's one of those, one of those jump scares. Sorry, I knew we said we wouldn't do a jump scare podcast, but here we are. Jumping you at the end with the scare. That's And now I'm gonna jump you at the end with these social medias. Take it away! You can find us on Twitter at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. Send us a tweet, 140 characters, join the conversation. We are on Facebook, search for Zero Credits Podcast in the Facebook search bar, and you can send us an email at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. Send us any kind of corrections. Send us a scary picture of a cat. Send us whatever you want. Send us... Well, don't send us that. And uh, we stream video games sometimes on twitch.tv slash zero credits. And we are on iTunes where you should like, comment, subscribe, tell your friends. Because we don't spend any money to promote this podcast because we don't have any. And don't forget to tune in next month for the spooky, scary, frightened times. So have we come up with, uh, with a name for it yet? Uh, I... no... Okay, uh, tune in next month for the Castle of Dr. Spinula. The Castle of Dr. Spinula coming straight to your ears next October, which is this, 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 when I say next October, I mean this October. Four weeks of scares. A whole month of spooky topics ranging from things we haven't thought yet to things we're too afraid to think about. Can your heart hold out for 30 straight days of terror? That's like four or five episodes. I still haven't counted the weeks out. Well, we need to figure that out, probably. Yeah, September had five weeks, so I, I, I'm i thinking October minus four. I don't know how oh, it works. Oh, four weeks. Ooh. All right, let's wrap this up. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, 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 we love you. From everyone here at Zero Credit Studios, we like to say have a good week and have a good night and goodbye. Have a good one. Stay warm. Me. Wait, is it cold? Biggest sport. Biggest sport. Biggest sport.